This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today uh, we figured that since our last episode was about Bloody Marys, we might as well do an episode about brunch. Yeah, it was one of the first topics we kind of discussed that wasn't straight up just a food. Yeah, because it's a very specific cultural phenomenon and a very, like, specifically bougie one. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of weird, like, class and, and culture kind of uh, things, gross, icky things, like, kind of wrapped up into the concept of brunch, but it's also this joyous celebratory occasion of having lived through Saturday night, so. <laughs> Essentially. Do you, do, do you like brunches, Annie? Uh, I do. I sometimes question myself when I do it because I do feel pretty bougie about the whole thing. Um, and I went on a, like a brunch bender a couple of <laughs> years ago. Lauren knows this about me, but I like obsess about maps and cities. Yeah. And doing all the best things in that city. Maximizing. Yes. Mm -hmm. We call it maximizing. Uh, and I did it for Atlanta brunch. So I was like every weekend hitting. <laughs> Hitting a new different place. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was big into it for like a very brief period. And now I just wake up so early. I don't like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait around for brunch. You've had three breakfasts already by the time a brunch rolls around. Exactly. Yeah. How about you? Do you like brunch? Um, I, I'm really bad at brunch because I shouldn't really eat whole eggs. It's oh, one of man. the many things that I shouldn't really 
consume for my good health. Um, my body gets so mad at me about various things and whole eggs are one of them. And so it's kind of like, well, yeah, that's well, there you go. Most of the menu probably. Yeah. I do love, I do love, um, a, uh, like an eggs Benedict or something like that, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to order that at any time. I mean, if a kitchen served that to me, that's at, true. Like 7 PM, I would definitely order it then. Brunch is not as widespread as I thought it was. And we will get back to that. Yeah. But it is a combination of breakfast and lunch. The word itself is a portmanteau, which is dictionary.com's word of the day a couple of days ago. Oh. oh. Um, of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I get the word of the day emails. <laughs> and this is a meal that's relegated to the weekend, typically between 10 ish and 3 p.m. ish, but can go as early as 8. And then it can go as late as 4, which what a night you must have had. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> or, or you could just be hungry at four. And it's a socially acceptable-ish time to drink in the mornings and spend $18 on eggs. Woo! Yeah. Woo. And we all super excited to do that. Yeah. It, it's kind of <laughs> seen as this more social, relaxed meal. Um, like breakfast is something I feel you get in, you eat your food and get out. But brunch is like, we're just going to chill here. <laughs> For possibly hours and catch up on everything that we could possibly need to catch up on. Right. I mean, most people are going to brunch. Somebody wants booze. Oh, sure. Yeah. A lot Other, of people, otherwise, you might just go to a diner or something like that. Yeah. There's somebody in the group that's like, do they serve mimosas? No. Are they bottomless mimosas? Yes, exactly. There's that person. Sometimes it's me. And then sometimes, if, if that person is me, you forget that in Atlanta, we have liquor laws. We still have these yes. blue laws that are held over from from not all that long ago. Um, and we've gotten rid of some of them, but you still can't serve alcohol before 12.30 p.m. on a Sunday. Right, which means that if you're going to brunch, and most places in Atlanta don't take reservations for brunch, right. it, there's a surge of people arriving right at 12.30. <laughs> so like minutes before, like a half hour before, the wait could be 10 minutes. 12.30, two hours. <laughs> like, another thing about brunch is that usually the foods are, in quotes, more experimental, kind of fusion-y-ish. Sure. People like to get creative with their brunch options, so it's not just Breakfast. so many omelets. Uh, you know, you can get creative with omelets. Oh, you certainly can. And the internet tells me there are a lot of strong opinions about when qualifies as brunch. I guess I never, I've never been fussed by it. I'm like, I'm like, brunch is really more of a state of mind. <laughs> So, yeah. which actually brings brings us back to the point of, uh, of of brunch having this well-deserved reputation of being a completely, like, lavish, unnecessary, bougie kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and it also has this kind of also-deserved perception as a rich white person meal. In particular. One of the quotes I kept seeing popping up when I was researching brunch is from the lead singer of The Strokes, who moved out of New York to get away from brunch, saying in a GQ article, quote, I don't know how many, like, white people having brunch I can deal with on a Saturday afternoon. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, fair enough, though. That's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also apparently gendered feminine, which is also apparently a running sitcom joke. More on that later, too. Now that we're talking about it, I've never had this in my head that it was like a, a ladies meal. But now that we're talking about it, I kind of, I guess. I guess I've seen the, the I guess I've seen that in pop culture, like like a ladies yeah. who brunch kind of thing. Like I've seen. Like sex in the City. Sure, totally. But but in my personal experience, it's usually been dude yeah. friends of mine who have been super excited about brunch. So I don't know. Yeah. 
I've never been at a restaurant and thought to myself, wow, it's all ladies in here. <laughs> I did used to have lady brunches with uh, with, with uh, Tracy V. Wilson oh. um, and, uh, and our friend Amy Minlapis. Oh, but. She used to make great brunch recommendations. Tracy did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. She knew about she knew about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure she just still does. She's not dead. I mean, <laughs> nothing has happened to Tracy. Uh, speaking of brunch recommendations, like, what are the kind of general ish things you'll find on a brunch menu? Uh, aside from the uh, aforementioned mimosas and bloody marys. Yep. Um, here in Atlanta. <laughs> we got things like chicken and waffles. I do like chicken and waffles. It's like a lot. It's heavy. So a couple bites in, I usually have regrets. But those first <laughs> couple of bites are amazing. <laughs> uh, other other than that, um, you know, eggs benedict, uh, frittatas, huevos rancheros. Chilaquiles. That's one of my favorites. Chilaquiles? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is. Oh, well, you probably couldn't need it. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> oh, um, sad trombone. Fancy waffles. And bacon. Bagels and locks, pancakes, biscuit sandwiches, home fries or otherwise pan-fried potatoes, breakfast tacos, uh, salads and light sandwiches, steak and eggs, tofu skillets, eggy pasta skillets. Those are the things that I feel like I see most places that have a big old brunch menu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I added a note to do a future episode on why are certain foods breakfast foods. Definitely some good stories in there. Yeah. Ba- bacon is a fun one that involves uh, propaganda. And um, the uh, really? the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Oh, man, what a teaser. We are coming back to that. So historically speaking, uh, where where did brunch come from? And, and actually, this part is why I wanted to do this episode, because it's a very short history, actually. Probably people who have had leisure time and leisure money have been eating lavish late morning, early afternoon breakfast break fast meals like like breaking your fast meals for basically ever especially in cultures of uh, conspicuous consumption like royalty class renaissance and medieval europe and during the roman empire but the word brunch itself and the western traditions associated with it are so much more recent they're like circa victorian kind of era brunch is thought to have roots in england's uh hunt breakfasts um which were these Larger and later than usual meals servants would cook up right after a hunting party returned with their catch. And uh, foods included at this sort of thing, according to foodtimeline.org, which is really a very amazing website, um, <laughs> include cold cuts, entire legs of ham, tongue, pickled mm. pork, fried potatoes, pork chops, veal cutlets, anchovies, ham toast. Ooh. Not positive what that is, but I want it. <laughs> Cro- croquettes? Is it croquettes or croquets? <laughs> I've, I think it's croquettes. Cool. That one. Mm-hmm. Uh, savory puddings, savory pies, meat in jelly, like aspic kind of situations. Uh, kidneys, roast larks, <laughs> yeah. broiled ducklings, deviled turkey, calves head served cold. Of course. Fr- <laughs> How else are you going to eat your calves head? Fried fish, oysters, lobster or partridge salad. Smoked- Not both. <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Smoked fish or meat or sausages, foie gras, omelets, and so on and so forth. This is a very fancy assortment. Yeah. And a lot of meat. Yeah. Re- real, real protein heavy. I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure that like pastry and stuff was involved, but like yeah. these, these are all of the things that, that stood out. Right. 
And it makes sense if the hunting party is not returning with, like, bread. We have conquered the bread. <laughs> we went to the bakery. <laughs> we returned victorious from our bread hunt. <laughs> Actually, I've definitely come back from bakeries feeling like that. Oh, yeah, me too. According to the Smithsonian's website, the word brunch first popped up in an article from Hunter's Weekly in 1895 titled, quote, Brunch, a plea. The article's author, Guy Berenger, was making the case that in the place of heavy post-church lunches, uh, folks should partake in some lighter foods and have a more sociable meal. And doing so would be good for your temper, your fellow humans, and for getting ready for the new week. He, he said, quote, Brunch is cheerful, sociable, and inciting. It is talk compelling. It puts you in a good temper. It makes you satisfied with yourself and your fellow beings. It sweeps away the worries and cobwebs of the week. It sounds lovely. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Right? He was really pushing for it. He, it was like a persuasive <laughs> essay he wrote. And there, there was a part in there that was kind of like, look, we know you probably got up to some trouble. You're going to need something to sop up all that trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a year later, in 1896, Pennsylvania paper, the New Oxford, published the first known written instance of brunch in the U.S., um, and that same year, an English magazine named Punch <laughs> advised that this meal should be called brunch when closer to breakfast and blunch when closer to lunch. I'm really glad that that's not a thing. <laughs> I'm, this might be one of those words I just adopt. Like, I adopted doodle, so I don't say dude, I say doodle. That's what it originally was, you guys. Really? Uh-huh. Huh. Like Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, he's a okay. Dude. He's a dude. And then we he's sure, a doodle. Yeah, he's a doodle, so I say hey doodles. Uh, at, at this point in England, uh, it was considered highly fashionable, like almost a necessity for the elite to to brunch. Um, oh, wow. And in 1900, the London pub- publication, The Academy, uh, printed this just amazingly cheeky letter to the editor that lists uh, similar portmanteaus, um, including brupper, <laughs> which was described as the joyous meal you have after a very late dance, for instance, <laughs> and consists of supper, which might almost be breakfast. <laughs> That is such a British word, rubber. rubber. <laughs> it also goes on to say, and I quote, but of course, brunch is undoubtedly far the best of all of them and is indeed, as you remark, the resource of the indolent. I am. Wow. I was like, goodness, my gracious. That's, I just love, I just love that cheek in there. That's great. Indolent, the resource <laughs> of the indolent. <laughs> Cool. Soon after this, uh, brunch made it to one particular demographic in the U.S., white male college students. Um, and this is mostly because there weren't a lot of women or minorities attending college at the time. Because they weren't allowed to. Yay! Yay. And since it was primarily enjoyed by hungover college kids, brunch was more commonly known as varsity meal. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping ahead to the 1930s, a culmination of stuff came together to help brunch along. And one of these things was Hollywood celebrities. They helped popularize the meal by stopping midway through their transcontinental flights, typically in Chicago, to have a late morning meal. Huh. Yep. And like with most things, the rich and famous set the trend. Brunch was starting to take off towards the end of Prohibition. See the Bloody Mary episode, uh, and was seen by wealthy, powerful folk. I read this as they wouldn't get punished for breaking the law. Okay, sure. Um, as a chance to start their day with an alcoholic beverage or several, but in a mixed drink, all sneaky like. Yeah. So it was like they wanted to drink with their late luxury meal, 
They couldn't really, unless they hit it in... In ju- juice, basically. Right. Either yeah. tomato juice or orange juice. Typically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in 1931, the LA Times hosted a demonstration of this new Vogue. Um, uh, quote, every woman reader of the Times is cordially invited to attend. Oh, <laughs> uh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, the menus they demonstrated included... Uh, such items as tomato juice, popovers, corned beef hash with eggs, fruit salad, baked stuffed, baked stuffed squab, and two things I'm very confused <laughs> about. Balloon potatoes, mm. balloon potatoes, uh-huh. and grapeleade. Okay. I've got a theory on the balloon <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a theory on the grape aid. Um, also in 1937, a cookbook called Corn, Beef, and Caviar included a menu for brunch of anchovy and chutney rolls, black bean soup, sauteed kidneys, Indian rice and minced celery, and a tomato and clam juice mocktail. Now, why a mocktail? The book said, because this is one of those cookbooks for women from history that also included really amazing life advice. And by oh, really yeah. amazing, I mean incredibly sexist and condescending. Um, <laughs> Excellent. And so the book said that it was only appropriate for a man to be seen drinking during the day. Oh. And that if the cook, who who would be the hostess of a household, obviously, right. um, had something by herself in the kitchen, people would think she was, quote, depraved and that they, quote, wouldn't be wrong. Whoa. Oh, snap. Wow. 1937 cookbook. So you could enjoy your tomato and clam juice mocktail. Man, I i don't know. I bet a lot of women might. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to know. That's the whole point. I guess, yeah. Oh, man. Qu- questions questions to ask, uh, to ask my grandmother. <laughs> so a hotel seized on this idea of brunch since a lot of restaurants were closed on Sundays. And um, a post-World War II dip in church attendance meant that more people were looking for something to do with friends and family after sleeping in on Sundays. Uh, but restaurants didn't wait long before joining the hotels and offering brunch. New York City's Tavern on the Green, pretty famous place, uh, <laughs> began serving brunch in the 40s. And New York, thanks in part perhaps to that Sex in the City thing, was named Best Brunch City in America by Food and Wine magazine. <laughs> Couldn't find a date on it. Believe it was 2015. Uh, <laughs> much to the lead singer of the Stroke Chagrin. Another contributing factor to brunches rise in the United States was due to the fact that more married women were entering the workforce after World War II. That meant that they needed to rest up on Sunday night, too, which meant that they needed to not cook and plan and prepare this, at the time, customary huge Sunday dinner meal. This meal was a big deal. Like. Yeah. This is why Thanksgiving is on a Thursday level. Of big deal. Yeah. Because so we can't, yeah. We can't plan those two big meals. Too close, close to one another. Yes. yes. So Thursday, Thursday was the closest you could get to Sunday <laughs> and it being weekend. Like mm-hmm. the New York Times wrote that Sunday had become a two meal day in 1939. Huh. And brunch was seen as a way to save time and money. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, and the Washington Post writer Ruth Chambers went as far to label brunch as, quote, meal for professional women. Ah, another one of those status things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently before this, women eating out in public and heaven forbid without a man <laughs> was perceived as scandalous and it was heavily, heavily frowned upon. Oh, man. That's 
Okay, sure. Yeah, of course. There were mm-hmm. lawsuits about women, what? yeah, being allowed to eat in public without a chaperone bought about by women. Uh, some involved in the Voting Rights Act. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, this had to change once women started getting factory jobs in cities, and they didn't have the time or desire to pack a lunch, and they didn't really have a lot of affordable options. That wouldn't possibly put them next to a strange man. Oh, scandal indeed. <laughs> at like a lunch counter. Yeah, sure. Um, so even at fine restaurants, uh, a lady was supposed to have a chaperone. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton's daughter, Harriet Stanton Blatt, Blatch? Blatch. And her friend, Hetty Wright Graham, sued a restaurant after it refused to seat them. And even though they lost, wow. uh, the tide slowly began to change. Hmm. Eating out in public alone was seen as a visible indicator of women's liberation. <laughs> and brunch became a big part of this. Oh, and, and and also, of course, that's part of the other tie to this being like like a white, wealthy right. woman's meal. Yeah. This is like white women's liberation. Sure. It oh, yeah. tied to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's yeah, so, civil rights not coming along for another few decades. Yep. Man, even brunch is depressing. I know. <laughs> it's got it's got some funny bits to it. It though. does. It it does. Some I mean, okay, th- this next one is entertaining. Yes, in the 60s, Cosmo editor Helen Gerling way, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, actually, Helen Gurley Brown has written some of those things you read that you're like is hilarious but also sad because people believed what she was writing at, at the, the time. time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Cosmo editor Helen Curly Brown's The Single Girl's Cookbook advised women to make brunch for any guests staying the night, which at the time flouted the social norm that women didn't have any gentlemen callers. If they did, they definitely did not, like, broadcast it. Though, don't worry, any possible, uh, like, hint that it was okay or even partially the norm to have a gentleman caller who, who might spend the night... Despite that, the, the the emphasis here was on getting a gentleman caller to become your husband. Right. Um, for example, in this book, there was an entire chapter on what to cook if you find out your man has been cheating on you and you want him back. Oh, <laughs> see, that's one of those terrible things that <laughs> Helen Gurley Brown. Man, what what would you cook? Oh, uh, well, for, for that specifically, I'm not sure. But a sample brunch <laughs> menu um, in, involved in this cookbook was uh, a Bloody Mary, eggs in ham cups, mm. fried apples, and a fruit jello mold. Because, of course, why? Yeah. <laughs> it was the 1960s, and why not? In June of 1975, the New York Times published an article by one Angela Taylor called And So to Brunch, Bagels and Locks or Strawberry, strawberry Omelets or dot, dot, dot. Um, and, and it also, I've got kind of an extended quote that just really cements the concept of brunch as being this, this upper class or, or at the the very least this, this like rising middle class kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, and I quote, it's very statusy to go out to brunch on Sunday, said a young single woman who lives on the Upper East Side. But even for the bagels and locks crowd who haven't heard from status, brunching out is a pleasant way to console oneself for not being away for the weekend. Brunch is a lot of different things to New Yorkers. It can be the 99-cent special at the cafeteria in the Central Park Zoo or the $9.50 menu in the plaza's Palm Court, where lesser folks stare at the well-heeled tourists and the clink of good china punctuates a polite hubbub. 
Brunch is also the polyglot racket of a Chinatown dumpling house, where you gorge on exotic tidbits and the check is figured by the number of empty plates on your table. It's champagne cocktails by candlelight in Greenwich Village, or even McDonald's, where single women sometimes hunt for divorced fathers entertaining their offspring. Whoa! <laughs> I did not see that coming. I know, right? I was like, ooh, what a twist! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wanted to read that whole chunk. I was like, okay. All right, Angela Taylor, thanks! Okay. Thanks, thanks for that look into the... Oh, man. Uh, and it seems that common menu items at the time were the kind of things that we sort of expect today. Uh, the, the Eggs Benedict, Bloody Marys, Bagels and Lux, um, interesting om- omelets, uh, like mm-hmm. like uh, caviar and sour cream. Whoa! Yeah, maybe? That is very fancy. I would totally eat that, like, right now, despite the fact that I shouldn't have eggs. <laughs> I guess what I mean is I would just eat ca- caviar and sour, sour cream. <laughs> I'll take the caviar and sour cream omelet. Hold the eggs. <laughs> Brunch crystallized into its final form during the 80s, when Americans, who now had more disposable income, welcomed with open arms the Hotel Brunch Buffet. And it spread from cities to towns, from upscale restaurants to places like IHOP. No offense, IHOP. And a sample menu from a uh, contemporary 1980s cookbook, Sunset Brunch, Creamy Scrambled Eggs and Baked Potato Boats. Oh, which looks really great. Uh, yeah. Fruit salad and a pineapple shell. Wow. Champagne and coffee. And also, dudes were featured cooking in photos in the book. What? What? I don't even know. Yeah. Wow. Go to 1980s. <laughs> Around this time in the 80s is when breakfast started to decline. Huh. Um, data from the International Food Information Council Foundation shows that in 1971, 89% of Americans ate breakfast, but by 2002, that number had dropped to 82%, which is actually higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. I eat breakfast. I'm, I wake up. The reason I wake up is usually I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, no. I, I put it off as far as long as possible. I'm like, <laughs> I'll have like a yogurt like around like 11 or noon. Oh, my gosh. I've Until like, then, it's just coffee and <laughs> pure vim. I'm like, at 6 a.m., I'm, I'm awake and like, when can I eat right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to find something immediately. Uh, I, I usually don't wake up hungry. I usually have no desire to eat for a few hours. I used to be like that in high school. Yeah. But things have changed. Yeah. In the 1990s, brunch spread to Saturday, which brings us to pretty much modern day brunch. But first, let's stop for a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes. Yes. Um, according to an article I read from the Washington Post. Google searches for brunch have gone up since 2004, and they pretty consistently spike twice a year. What days would you guess those are? <laughs> They're pretty close to each other. They well, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's another it's it's another two like like let's give the lady who's clearly the cook a break from cooking. Yeah, and so those days are Mother's Day and Easter. Yep, Mother's Day I guessed immediately but easter yeah i mean i don't know what else i would have guessed but i wouldn't yeah. have guessed easter it's not like halloween i mean ads for those uh for, for mother's day brunches started popping up in newspapers around the 1940s yeah and uh when brunch first started gaining momentum outside of celebrities in the u.s uh that whole cooking and cleaning thing took up two hours a day of a married woman's time but now that number is around five hours a week ah yeah um, and outside of brunch, Mother's Day is still the most popular day a year to eat out. And it is, like we said, the, the I mean, even in my family, my dad would be like, let's give your mom a day off. We'll take her out somewhere. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, which is, which is sweet. It's it, just, it is. It's just steeped in institutionalized sexism is right. all. But I mean, it's weird. It's a weird thing because in my family, um, I feel like my mom and I would rather not go eat out, go out to eat. Yeah, it's it's. But it's seen as like, well, we've got to we do have this to. thing. Yeah, brunch on Mother's Day is a vaguely miserable experience. Like that, yeah. it's just so it's so it's so much. It's complete sensory overload for me. I kind of can't handle being in a restaurant with that many children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kids are great. Just <laughs> <laughs> I've never I've never risked. Mother's Day brunch. We always go at like a lunch dinner okay. thing. Yeah. I've never tried for the Mother's Day brunch. It sounds very intimidating. The reservation process. No, thank you. Other than you, people who tend to not be very fond of, of brunch include basically the entire restaurant industry. Because it means like working late Saturday night and getting up early Sunday and figuring out a menu that has breakfast foods and lunch foods and specialized brunch fusion foods that you can only get at brunch. Yeah, all, all of which are, right, are, are different and probably using entirely different um, ingredients than you use on your normal lunch and dinner menus. Right. And on top of that, most restaurants don't get deliveries on the weekend. So you're probably eating the not-so-fresh leftovers of the week and paying so much for it. Uh, and the staff working brunch is usually the newer uh, which doesn't have to be bad, but you know, they're less seasoned staff since it's the 
quote, less busy shift and the least liked. So it's like the last pick. Yeah. Uh, and even though it's expensive, it's not as much as dinner. So waiters are not making as much in tips. Uh, it's not particularly fun food to make. I read a lot of the quotes from eggs, chefs. Yeah. Eggs are a pain in the butt to yeah. cook to temperature, especially yeah. when people are very picky about egg temperature, which, to be fair, is a thing I've complained about before. Yeah. No, it it's more in the way you complain. I feel like French crowds... Feel a little bit entitled? Yeah. <laughs> because they're bougie? And your bottomless drank, they're probably almost definitely using the cheap stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's obvious, but uh, most chefs recommend just going to a breakfast place. And, personal note, most of my favorite brunch places in Atlanta are more like breakfast places that are just open yeah. during brunch time. I guess most of mine are as well. Um so uh, apart from apart from the price tag which we have been talking about and the entire restaurant industry hating brunch what is let's let, let's talk about this problem this problem that is brunch that we've been n- not even tiptoeing just bulldozing right through for this entire yeah. episode. Um this is a meal that's whole existence is thanks to excess. It's like excess food, excess money, excess time and it's always been a meal for people who are well off. Um, you're not going to do this leisurely hour plus long meal, uh, an expensive meal, uh, a social meal on the weekend, unless you've got the money and that time to do so. Uh, a lot of things I read kind of compared it to like a public culinary display of money and privilege. Yeah. Uh, uh, movements like uh, hashtag black, Black brunch have stage protest at brunch for this reason. And recently, brunch has also become associated with gentrification. Uh, it's a meal that can be enjoyed by young professionals with extra time and money who don't have kids to worry about and to find affordable housing for. Also time to waste regarding waiting when there aren't reservations. Right, which, sure. Like I said, um, a lot of brunch places don't, don't. take them. Yeah. I tried to find out why that was, but all I could find is why generally restaurants don't take reservations. Sure. Um, and this is also something I had never really thought about, um, the kids thing. Like yeah. all the other stuff I'd considered. Um, but <laughs> I never really thought about like uh, just the time. You don't have time if you've got kids. Yeah, yeah. To do yeah, this because, meal. yeah. I mean, I still I still see people with kids there. Sure, sure. I, I see families out. But yeah, but it's a whole, I mean, it's definitely a deal to, to, to get especially more than one child, like, like dressed and out of the house and to this restaurant. And is, I mean, depending on the age of the child, like, is it, is it going to be around their mealtime? Like, is there going to be something the kid's going to want to eat? Like, is it going to, like, is it going to lead to a meltdown? (laughs) Is it going to be way less fun than just staying home would have been for you to begin with? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. So the data I mentioned earlier from the Google trends, Mm -hmm. um, actually did not find this correlation of, um, like, gentrification um, on a state level. Uh-huh. But it did find a small correlation between brunch and income and the percentage of the population living in urban areas, those two things. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty small, though. Uh, the largest correlation was between brunch and the percentage of the population made up of Jewish people. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> Obligatory disclaimer of the episode. Remember, correlation does not equal of course. Yes. Um, 
Brunch didn't show a correlation with any um, of the other religions looked at. And that surprised me because I always kind of thought it was like people getting out after church were going to brunch. But I guess um, a lot of churches do like potlucks. Uh, this is one explanation offered up for why brunch may, may be more popular among Jewish communities because it's presented as an alternative to church on Sundays. Oh, sure. So what's the future of brunch? <laughs> after the huh. 2016 American election... Some analysts thought the consumerism uh, that brunch can represent would be, like, the death of brunch. Oh, wow. And I've heard a lot of people say protest is the new brunch. But so far, that hasn't really been the case. And there's even talk of brunch DJs now. Oh, no. Brunch DJs. Why is there ever a DJ in a restaurant? I don't know. <laughs> um, so uh, so this, this, is all, this is all very... Western and specifically very American uh, culture that we've been talking about. And mm-hmm. we do have a few notes about uh, brunch, brunch type meals enjoyed in other cultures. Mm-hmm. But first, we're going to take another quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes. So, uh, brunch, brunch around the world... One of the first things that I think of when I think of brunch is dim sum, because we're very yes. lucky here in Atlanta to have a wonderful uh, international population and some really good, really good dim sum. Yeah, I love me some dim sum. Uh, when I was kind of looking into, I didn't want to research dim sum too much because we're going to do a it's whole, a, definitely a whole other episode. Yeah, it deserves its whole 
yeah. this whole thing. But um, when I was looking up, like, brunch around the world, dim sum is often called the original brunch. Yeah. Um, and the name dim sum refers to uh, bite-sized foods that usually come in steamer baskets or small plates that are passed around on food carts, typically. Yeah. Um, yes, we will come back to that. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh, so uh, there's also, and I had never heard of this one, um, but there's, yeah. there's apparently a, uh, a thing in Dubai called Friday brunch. Yes. Uh, it sounds like American brunch, but on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the work week in Dubai is Sunday to Thursday. And so Friday is like when the weekend starts mm-hmm. and you start your weekend with this lavish over the top brunch. Um, like, for instance, you need a map, a map, to navigate the 37 <laughs> stations sprawl that dominates an entire floor of this, like, I think it's an office building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked up pictures, and it, it's nuts. 37 stations. 37. A map. Yeah. I can't imagine entering a restaurant and With being a handed a map. Oh, I can, and it's delightful. <laughs> um, caviar and champagne are pretty common at all of these Friday brunches. Dubai. Yeah, if anyone's experienced that, please. Oh, yeah. Let us know. Send us pictures. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. So that's kind of brunch. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of what we have to say about brunch. And you yeah. may be noticing that there's still a few minutes of the podcast left. Mm-hmm. And that's because, that's because we've got, we've got a fancy new listener mail segment for you. Okay. So, uh, listener Bella wrote in with a yogurt tale of her own. She said, Story time. In my house, three of us eat yogurt every morning for breakfast, and we were going through approximately a quart of 2% Faye yogurt a day <laughs> to keep up with the demand. Um, since it's so expensive, especially the Greek variety, my parents and I decided to invest in a Cuisinart yogurt maker. It's a bit time-consuming, but I've got it down to a system relay now. Every evening, I assemble the ingredients and start the 16-hour fermentation process. It ferments overnight and is finished at about 9 the next morning in time for someone, typically my mother, to turn it off and put the full container in the fridge to cool and thicken. Then, when I arrive home from school, I immediately transfer the yogurt into a strainer specifically for turning regular yogurt into Greek. About three hours later, I take it out and scoop the now Greek yogurt into one cup portions in mason jars. I also set aside three quarters cup for starting the next batch. I drain the removed whey into bottles that I later take to school in my lunch to drink. To the jars of yogurt, I sprinkle one tablespoon of chia seeds on top to eliminate any additional whey that separates. Sometimes I add frozen fruit on top of the seeds as well so it can thaw. And the melted juice can gel the seeds as well. I love that. That is so beautiful. She's got a system down. She doesn't waste anything. Right. That's also, man, way more motivated than I am. So, so high fives. Like, yeah. Internet, so many internet high fives <laughs> yes. to you. I, you are an inspiration. Yes. Oh, I want to try that with the chia seeds though. Yeah. That sounds really good. Um, listener Rissa threw her hat into the food sadness ruining arena with this note. <laughs> Oh, no. Yep. Ugh. She wrote, Hey, Lauren and Annie, I heard about your podcast from Stuff You Miss in History Class, and I've enjoyed every episode, especially uh, while I'm cooking. Oh, thank Yay. you. Yay. Um, I am a teacher and a cake decorator, so you two feed my educational and natural hunger. <laughs> I'm writing to you with a suggestion for a podcast on food coloring. Oh. If I had to describe my cake decorating job badly, <laughs> I would say I cover sweet bread with fat, sugar, and food coloring 
all of which can kill you in large quantities. <laughs> well, we all know that fat and sugar aren't great for you in the long run, both of which you discussed on the Sugar Podcast. Yikes, all caps. But most Americans do not realize that many color additives in our food are considered toxic in Europe, the most common being red number 40. If only they could see how much food coloring gel is required to make red velvet cake, they may never touch it again. I certainly don't. Keep up the work, the good work, ladies, and I look forward to listening next week. Oh, that's that's a thing that I, I made a red velvet cake for a friend a few years back, and I was just like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was so grossed out by it. It was really, yeah. it was really upsetting. Yeah, I've only made it from the the mix. Mm-hmm. So I've never had to like actually see. Yeah. Like cope with the sheer amount of, yeah. It is. Isn't it just chocolate cake with dye? It's like, it's like light chocolate. It's like a, it's like a mid chocolate cake. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it full on chocolate. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for this episode. Uh, yeah. If you would like to get in touch with us as these lovely humans have done. Um, our Twitter account is at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. Mm-hmm. Um, our Instagram account is at foodstuff, and our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Yes, please write us. We'd love so much to hear from you. If you have any suggestions, any topics you'd like to hear us cover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or any any corrections or uh, just, just any other interesting cultural notes about food stuff we've talked about from from your own little neck of the woods uh also oh hey uh thank thank you to noel brown our audio producer (laughs) who who's hanging out in here with us today thank you all for listening um we hope that you'll tune in again and that many more good things are coming your way This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.